0: Underwater Edition Bubbles. That's just a tease of what's coming up. Um, And it comes from a listener this week, by the way. If you're a listener, and you are, if you're hearing my voice right now... That's a good point. You're a listener. You may not... Well, you're at least hearing me. I don't know whether you're listening to me, but I'm glad to be playing... In the background. Um, And uh, um, if you send us an idea for a show, it could be your idea that we're about to announce. We'll get to that in a second. Um, With us, uh, biologist, virologist from Rockefeller University, Gabby Panicia. How are you today?
1: I am existing. I will leave it at that. <laughs> so, so far, at least, that's, that's a plus. I have not vanished into a puff of nothingness. <laughs> okay, well,
0: glad to hear it. Uh, and also with us, also potentially existing, although we'll have to wait to hear his report coming up in a second, mm-hmm. um, professor, uh, historian of science at New York University, Matthew Stanley. How are you, sir? Dr. Stanley. <laughs>
2: Uh, I have not disappeared in the emergence of a false vacuum, uh, which is a a thing that particle physicists do worry about sometimes, um, which is the spontaneous creation of a rapidly expanding bubble of um, space-time that would essentially rewrite their laws of nature um, all around it and destroy us. Wow! Um, And there's generally a non-zero chance that this will happen. Um, so every morning, if you need a little bit of encouragement, you can say, no false vacuum today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or does it work the other way in a Douglas Adams kind of nihilism? Nothing matters because at any point a false vacuum could appear <laughs> That's right. and That's right. fundamentally destroy our reality mm-hmm. as we know it.
2: Yeah, existentialism is a tricky business. This sounds like a potential if. I, I, I'll just sounds ask. like a
1: great if. <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah, is that, huh? Why is it false?
2: Why is it false? Because it has energy in it. So it uh, looks like a vacuum, but it's actually not. Um, we can definitely do an if on it. And um, uh, folks in the meantime can go read Alan Guth's wonderful book, uh, The Inflationary Universe, uh, um, where he discusses um, how this works. I should say this is actually one of the great popular science books ever, but it is not well known. So I can, uh, I can thoroughly recommend Guth, um, Guth's book.
0: Ooh, I have to put that on my list. I yeah. am um, uh, i always forget to introduce myself, because I already know who I am, but uh, you may or may not know, uh, Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, fan of science, and uh, admirer of people like Matt and Gabby, who actually know it, and can explain it to us, and can explain it to me. Um, and uh, so it's always fun to do this show every week, and... Um, partly because of you wonderful people out there who are listening, uh, some of whom are members, by the way, of Pat- our Patreon club. Um, you are Patreon supporters. Uh, our membership program, uh, which I mentioned there a little bit in the opening at the music. Um, but again, uh, I encourage you, if, if you've heard me mention Patreon many times and you've not yet investigated what it is, um, I encourage you to do so. Uh, Patreon.com slash whattheif. Find out how you can join us. and. Um, but uh, we have an a, a incoming communication from uh, one of you fine listeners, and this one comes to us. We are in New York, and it comes to us all the way from Australia, and so we're going to go to the mailbag. <clears throat> yes! Breaking out the mailbag music. Now, by the way, Patreon listeners know this also as the theme song to the after show, which is uh, an exclusive extended episode, bonus content that only Patreon listeners get to listen to. So if you want to join and you want to hear more after the show, you can join us. And this uh, wonderful music makes me feel like I'm dancing out of the house, across the lawn, down to the mailbox, and opening it up and finding a letter here. And today's letter comes to us from Ori Kirk. And Ori is in... Bundaberg, Queensland,
2: Australia. Huh, Bu- Bundaberg. With a B. Oh, Bundaberg. Well, that's not that's not less weird. Uh, don't usually hear German. Right. Style names like that for Australia. Interesting.
0: Right. Now, if, I suppose if I said it, which I won't in an Australian accent.
2: Oh, yeah, that could It would be. sound
0: somewhat mm-hmm. less German, but still, it does sound, does sound very German. But uh, so, Ori, uh, tell us about, what's what's the, what's the origin there of your your town's name? But uh, Ori writes... Um, uh, the subject is potential if. We like that. A lot of potential energy here. Um, or he says, hi, all. You guys do an exceptional job. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, our show um, makes for great listening at work. He is a CAD designer. Oh. Is that computer-aided design? Is mm-hmm. that right? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he does say, uh, or he or she, they say, I don't know, Ori. Your gender there, based on that name, but uh, Ori says it is too distracting while writing my thesis for undergrad. Ah, (laughs) 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 Uh, they're in their last Mm -hmm. term of mechanical engineering. So kudos to you. Very exciting, uh, Ori. Now um, here's what Ori says: uh, Not sure if this has been done. Um, They're only half. He says, uh, "I'm only halfway through the backlog of episodes." So Ari, a completionist, like mm. some of our most hearty listeners, there are a number of you out there. And in fact, if you are one of them and you've not reached out to us, tell us. I know there's a number of you who have the chutzpah and the stamina and the fortitude to go back and start listening to all our episodes. There's more than 300 of them now. That's amazing. Um, that is really wow. impressive. So um, good luck there uh, as you make your way through um, the backlog of episodes, as he says, uh, as they say, I'm sorry, I keep... uh, Just listened to the episode about what the if humans had to hold their breath on land like whales. And it made me think. What the if human-level intelligence and tool-making evolved in the oceans instead of on land? I'd imagine fire would never have been discovered and all the derivatives associated with that. Writing would be very different, indeed. Maybe stone tablets would be the standard um, due to issues of ink and paper <laughs> underwater. Uh, Ori says, how would civilization and communi- uh, communities look? And then, fast forward to some form of advanced civilization. Ori, I, I like how you did, you know, that's what we would like to do on our ifs, which is leap way ahead and imagine what incredible ran- uh, ramifications, yes, have happened because of our if. Fast forward to some form of advanced civilization. How would venturing onto land work with mechanical and technological aids? Mass would be an issue, as would portable, breathable, circulated water. <laughs> P.S. Love the show. Found you guys through Flash Forward. Uh, Flash Forward, uh, Rose Eveleth's uh, fabulous podcast. Um, a number of... We we share listeners. I think both of us, because uh, her show is a little bit more a little bit more reportage, but uh, mm. she also, she, she, she asks an idea, and then rather than just wing it like we do, because she, <laughs> she's, you know, she was like a producer for NPR, she goes out and interviews people, and, and it's more of a, a more polished awesome. show like that. It was a very good show, Flash Forward. So, thank you for uh, coming to us from Flash Forward, Ori. And Ori uh, says, keep up the awesome work. Wishing you guys all the best from Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. So oh, that's thank so nice. You. Yeah, very nice. nice. Very nice, uh, and so uh, we're about to announce the if, and in doing so, we uh, we make a lot of we make a lot of noise, and we have to do some preparations. So, Matt, if you could explain to our listeners why
2: we need to be careful at this moment, why why do we oh. walk so slowly over this threshold? Well, I mean, it's basic safety precautions, (laughs) which hopefully everyone has already been briefed on,
1: Um,
2: uh, which is changing the universe is a dangerous business. Um, We're actually going in and fiddling with some important elements of reality. Uh, And if, you know, we happen to be creating the reality where humans have tails and you're trying to wear your normal pants, um, (laughs) things are going to go badly. Um, So it's important to take stock for a moment and uh, figure out uh, what needs to be done. Right. Take stock or sell your
0: stock because this could go either way. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, put on your hazmat suits and your goggles and your papper and get ready as we ask what the if? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Nothing happened. Little anticlimactic. It's, boy,
0: it's been a long time. I had gotten so good at the music cues, you know. But uh, that's that's why we wear safety, you know, safety goggles.
2: All right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. As they say on a film set, um, back to one, back to our starting <laughs> position. Here we go. What the if? Human level intelligence. And tool making evolved in the oceans instead of on land. A question from Orion, in Australia. What the if? So I guess we, we go back in time now, and evolution is going to take a different path. And so. Um basically um we believe that uh he, our ancestors so if we go if we roll the tape all the way back we see that at one point in time we are uh merely underwater creatures is that a, I remember in cosmos I think it might be the end of the last episode of cosmos one of the great episodes of cosmos there's a kind of animation that shows the evolution of going i think from like a single cell all the way up to humans um and one of the phases it passes through is it's sort of something underwater, and then it kind of becomes a plant uh, and then the plant changes shape into the plant almost looks like a becomes the shape of a fish, but it's still a plant. and then the plant detaches from the ground and it becomes a fish swimming underwater. So I was like, oh did we were maybe we were plants first, and then we
1: we never fish. were plants, so, yeah. <laughs> so that car- is an artistic liberty,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were never plants. So we were, we went from cells to, uh, w- w- what do we find w- as we catch up with us while we're still underwater? We've not evolved onto land yet. What do we see? Yeah.
1: So the sort of evolving onto land bit are sort of, currently we pin the tail on, we got on the land here. We point that to uh, one organism called Tiktaalik.
2: Mm. It
1: was sort oh. of an amphibian-y kind of fish lizard um, that had fins that it could move independently to sort of scurry up onto beaches. Um, And now I'm sort of imagining uh, we have time traveled. We are watching the first of our great, 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 a million times ancestors (laughs) crawl up on the land and we're just poking it with a broom and going, no, go back, go back, go back. (laughs) Um, So... I think that there's a couple of things maybe in this that we have to keep if we're still able to develop tools. And actually we've been okay. talking a lot about tool use lately. And uh-huh. I feel like some like okay. this is a great time to be circling back to this if, uh, because we like have some things we've mentioned. Yeah. So you still need your hands free, or at least mm. you need your hands to not be fins. Um oh, yeah. so you need some kind of mobility. So say, you know, TikTolic still has its ability to move its Fins independently for walking, Hmm. uh, but maybe, you know, maybe we're not swimmers underground, like underwater. Like maybe this this creature that we become now that has been forced back into the water that still needs its hands is something on, I guess, the bottom of the water. Because if we were zipping Uh, around uh in open water, we would probably need fins still. Or at the very least, our back half would still need to be fins maybe we go the mermaid route.
2: That's interesting. All right. Okay, yeah, so we've still got the same body plan. We can't make ourselves cephalopods or
1: Oh, we could make mm-hmm. ourselves cephalopods. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: is that like an octopus?
1: Yes. What's a, I yeah, believe yeah. that's an earlier split. Oh, um, yeah, that must be that's it must be
2: way way back, yeah. All right. Um,
1: but if we just say we want to really go down that route, we can. No reason why we can't have eight arms and be doing this from the lens of well, a it's bunch of octopi. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting because don't they say that uh seems like octopi are perhaps the most intelligent creatures?
2: Yeah, that is kind of what I was thinking about is people talk a lot about.
1: They you know, are very smart really little dudes. Smart.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. So, well, actually, no, maybe we should stick with, with mammals because we have dolphins as a, a model of what... A, uh, something on the same body plan as us, but smart. Um, so that may be helpful. But the tentacles seem like a more
0: likely thing to help. You could manipulate tools better perhaps with tentacles than you could with fins.
1: Yeah, so maybe I can kind of explain a little bit of like why we're wrestling with this right mm, now. Mm, Good. Mm. Yeah. Essentially, if we go from the lens of that fish amphibian that is first crawling out onto land, it's not like underneath its fins, it has hands. The structure that we know Ah, as hands mm -hmm. has not fundamentally evolved yet. Ah, Dolphins, Mm -hmm. if you ever look at the skeleton of a dolphin or a whale, Mm -hmm. they essentially have hands because they were mammals that were on land and then oh. went back into the water. Whoa. And right. so you can kind of think of every mm-hmm. time a dolphin is you know flicking its like little front fins to move, it is essentially jazz-handing its way through the water <laughs> because that is the most effective way to repurpose hands if you have them and you, are, you need to be a speedy water predator. Um, octopi and tentacles are a completely different thing where... Those guys do not have bones, but mm, they still mm. manage to have sort of really interesting tool manipulation abilities um, because that single tentacle is very flexible. So it's not that they, you know, have some underwater hand. Our, their structure of hands is, is nothing like ours. And everywhere you see a structure like ours as hands in the water, it has been turned back into a fin.
0: Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Now, I will say that crows, for instance, uh, seem to use tools, right, in a very limited Mm -hmm. fashion. Um, So they don't have hands. They only have their beak, right? Mm -hmm. So a dolphin has a kind of a beak or, you know, a mouth. It it could, So if it only had, now it's a little bit harder because it's underwater, but theoretically a dolphin could grab a stick and do some things with it. Or, or, or octop- octopi mm-hmm. pull themselves, and they use shells uh, for protection, don't they? Sometimes they, they can yeah, crawl rectal. into them and mm-hmm. move around with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So.
1: so I'm going to just propose two ideas going forward, and maybe yeah. we can just yeah. pick one and say, just run from there. Yeah, uh, Either we really lean into the evolution and we just say, all right, we're octopus. We are now following the mollusks. Once Tiktaalik got pushed back into the water, there was no hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the only yeah. tool users are going to be octopi, or we decide that we're mermaids. And so we still have hands like normal. We are just stuck underwater and we have oh, fins. You know, I would say we do that, interestingly yeah,
0: enough, because I think that it's the underwater part that interested Ori the most, um, not the body form so much. So, yeah. So, mermaids, fantastic. And, and mer- okay, yeah. what do they uh, call uh, male mermaids? Mermen? Uh, mermen, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, or just the gender neutral mer people.
2: Mer people. Yeah. Merfolk. Merfolk. mer-folk.
1: Yeah. I like the merfolk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very. Good. It jives with our bluegrass use, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> it's really what it's all about. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah. So the the merfolk are um, now. I'm seeing Ewoks underwater for some reason. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, what would be the first tool that evolves. Now, taking from my, uh, the only uh, real textbook I think that I ever studied and memorized about evolution was the movie 2001. And uh, (laughs) that's kind of where I get all my information. And um, uh, there they show kind of the first tool being, well, I think they use little sticks at one point kind of just to push things around on the ground, but really the first big tool, the most productive tool use that it is evolved by the uh, proto-humans in that movie, is a bone used as a hammer,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. right? To knock out other, to knock out animals that they can then eat.
2: Um, yeah, so early tools, um, I guess there's kind of two features that you'd want from your early tool. And there's a question of, uh, was it a stick or was it a rock? Mm, um, mm, mm. So a stick gives you reach and leverage. Um, so you can, you know, get to something with a stick that you couldn't get to with your hand. So that's might be handy. Um, uh, and also the, um, no one can see this, but the the (laughs) swinging action um, gives you uh, an advantage as well. And then a rock is hard and heavy. So if you need to break something open, um, or change its shape, then the rock is the better choice. Um, so I don't know which is the the priority for our merfolk. Do we want to reach new things, or do we want to smash things?
0: Well, I would say the first thing that strikes me is that underwater, those things don't work as well. You know, trying to swing a, a stick mm-hmm. in the way you might swing a baseball bat would be really hard. However, a stabbing motion with the stick would would work, right? You know, in fact, divers go on, underwater with, uh, mm-hmm. like, little spears or shock Whatever, poles that they can zap a shark to keep it away from them or whatever. Um, so I could imagine that. And even trying to use a rock to smash something would be hard underwater. Oh, well, that's right. And that's is, you
2: know, it's, it's often pointed out that it seems very early in our evolution, we learned to throw things with great accuracy. Um, mm, mm, mm. So a lot of the evolution. <laughs> Excuse me. A lot yeah. of the evolution of our the structure of our hands and arms is to make us efficient throwers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and throwing would not be so useful underwater. Um, so that's so that's right. That would definitely direct our our tool evolution.
1: I wonder if some of this can be considered from like a biome angle. Mm-hmm. So where our mer people living are probably is probably going to really influence what tools they use. Yeah. So, for example, yeah, using a rock is maybe more difficult if you're underwater, uh, but also if you really need to crack open a bunch of clamshells, you're still going to pick up a rock. Uh, But then maybe, you know, that process is messy, and then you use a wedge of broken seashell to maybe slide under the lip of clams and essentially start learning how to shuck things. Yeah. So I still think that maybe rock and like lever tool are two things that our people can still pick up pretty quick, especially yeah. if they live anywhere like anywhere with easy access to like the, the floor, like not like open, open ocean mer people. Um, where I right, imagine right. if they develop tools, mm-hmm. it's only going to be like spears for fishing.
0: Yeah. Right, Mm -hmm. but where are they going to It would have to just be what. it's just Because like pieces of wood don't go to the bottom. There's no reason why
1: they wouldn't also. Rather than picking up tools, why they wouldn't just? Why there wouldn't be selective pressure for them to just be really, really, really fast? Um, So I think I like the idea of our coastal mer people. Okay, yeah, not coastal in the Mm -hmm. way of you know they're on the beach side, but coastal in the way of eh, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Wow, that's really interesting. In other words, imagine that the uh, yeah the Uh, environment, just as you were saying, the biome influences where this would have happened, right? Um, So uh, you're on the coast, and so you get, I mean, the only thing I can think of that's long and, you know, basically what we're talking about is pieces of wood that would, you would have to get from the surface, right? Because the wood doesn't sink to the bottom, does it, generally, Um, for spear type things. Like there's no, we're imagining there's no metal because there's no, it's not like, (laughs) you know, the civilization Um, that will in the future create garbage. Well, that's actually, that's an interesting
2: uh, thing to think about is, yeah, what raw materials are available um, on the ocean floor? Um,
1: Bone. Does bone
2: sink nicely? I
1: I don't think it floats. Mm. I mean, just based on what I know of whale falls. Um
2: ah, okay yeah. oh no that's yeah that, that makes a lot of sense that's right okay um yeah okay that's good too because I was also thinking that fish bones aren't so great for tool use but a whale bone yeah that is good mm, stuff um, yeah. so that would be yeah so that would be pretty cool um and so far could, we're making
1: yeah. bone mermaids and this just sounds really metal I'm sorry <laughs> but <this laughs> actually beautiful. very cool
0: instead of mad max it's mad mm-hmm. mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Mermax.
1: So maybe just kind of thinking. So there's a lot of early human tools that our people could still develop. Flint napping, you can still do underwater. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yep. So That's you right. can still shape tools.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh.
1: If we're using bone spears, we still have those. There is always the time-honored use rock to hit thing, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be working very well. Um But there's no metal, or at least not our conventional smelting. Right, Matt, you were saying?
2: Yep, that's right. So I guess to um, uh, get us all on the same page for that, um, most metals are not found in metallic form in nature, um, Mm. but they're bound up chemically with other uh, elements. So for instance, iron is usually found... um, as uh, a compound with um, oxygen, right? So they're like hematite or um, limonite or so on. So in order to get the metal into a usable form, you have to um, heat it up. This is usually the strategy. So you get it really hot, um, and then the oxygen or the carbon or whatnot um, is freed, uh, leaving behind the metal. And that process is called smelting, um, and that takes a while to figure out how to do um, because you need quite high temperatures to smelt most useful metals. Mm. So, for instance, the reason that um, humans use copper before they use iron, um, even though there's much more iron and iron is a much better tool making material, is just because the um, temperatures needed to smelt copper are relatively low and Mm. the temperatures needed to smelt iron are quite high. So, you need to get good at building really hot fires and furnaces before you can, can use iron. Um, so, all that to say, the only metal you can use if you're underwater um, is metal that's already in metallic form, um, and there are a few of these. Um, so, for instance, uh, gold is often found. Um, in pure form, wow! Um, but you have to dig for it, too. So that might be kind of weird to do underwater. Um, but probably the coolest option here is that um, meteorites um, uh-huh. fall from the sky. Mm. So the first ironwork is actually made out of meteorites. Um, really? Because that actually falls from the sky, some, at least sometimes, in, in all re- a pre-smelted form, rather conveniently. Uh-huh. Um so, and some of those will fall in the water. <laughs> so that
1: is, no pun intended, <laughs> extremely metal.
2: That's, that's <laughs> it. Um, so if we want them to be metal workers, um, it's probably going to be with with meteoric um, iron.
1: I uh, do have yeah. maybe a little bit of an asterisk that I think mm-hmm. I don't know if it would work. Uh, so yes, they still have meteor metal, but it still needs to be heated and shaped.
2: Yeah, to actually and there's it.
1: still the whole fire underwater problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figure there's maybe two things that address this: in the fact that there are some places underwater where there's a lava,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where you know yeah. plates of the Earth are pulling apart, or there are underwater volcanoes, um, and there's also deep ocean hydrothermal vents that are extremely hot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So while we did talk about our Mer people being coastal. Uh, it is possible that they have a close trading relationship with a group of much, much deeper sea, uh, yeah. essentially like the the dwarves of our <laughs> yeah. mer people. That they, you know, they're in the darkness and forging. Uh, but um, I do like the idea of of meteor metal. But th- but as yeah. you say,
2: even if you get the the meteoric metal, you still need some heat to work it into a, a useful form. Um, so. I like the idea. So you could maybe they send out expeditions um, to, to go work the metal because the metal is going to be extremely rare. Um, mm. But so, you know, maybe you have designated special folks in the, the social order whose job it is is to wander off into the darkness and find a geothermal vent where they can work the metal into a useful form. Um, There's actually some precedent for this in Polynesian cultures um, Mm. Mm. in that, uh, you know, we think of making stone tools, but there's stone that's crappy for tools and there's stone that's really good for tools. Um, And the difference between those is enormous. So on the big island of Hawaii, um, there's some there's really good tool making basalt, but it's up on top of uh, Mauna Kea, which is really hard to get to. Um, So there were so you would essentially it would be like a month long expedition to climb to the top of the mountain, get the tool making rock and then bring it back down again. Um, But they clearly did this. And in fact, that tool rock is so good that we can see that it spread through all of Polynesia. Like wow. thousands of miles across wow. so it was it was good enough and rare enough that people were willing to to trade it by canoe over thousands of miles of open ocean.
0: yeah, totally now are, cool. are these under are the undersea um, let's say under undersea volcanoes or the undersea smokers as you call them undersea vents are either of those hot enough to um, to do what you need to do?
2: Well, that is a good question. Undersea vents
1: are very hot.
2: Let's check. Um, I I don't have the slightest sense. I'll have to ask my friend Karen, but let's see if Google will tell me. All right. Um, Undersea vent temperature, hydrothermal vent temperature, 700 Fahrenheit. That's pretty low, but let's Mm -hmm. see. That's
1: not as high as I thought it would be.
2: We got to kick it up. That's right. (laughs) We need emerald. Um, Put some spice in
0: there. (laughs) Bam. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Let's see here. Working... Oy vey. Um, iron Wait. forges for working iron need to be 2,500 Fahrenheit. Ah. Um, but let's try Don't. let's try something cooler, though. What about
1: bronze?
2: Yeah, let's check on that. Oh, even copper is 1,400. Man. Or <laughs> merfolk may be in trouble. I can imagine the merfolk Googling this information. You know? <laughs> All right, well, what are yeah. we going to do?
0: How <laughs> do we get this?
2: Actually, so there are bronze alloys that can work at... Uh, 500 degrees. So uh, so we're yeah. actually in luck if they can get their hands on some copper and tin to make bronze. All right, oh, so, God. All right, so, so this bright. might be doable. Yeah. So, uh, so meteoric iron is probably out. Um, right. Although I should say you can do cold forging where you just kind of smash it into the shape mm. you want. Mm. Um, so you're not going to get anything too sophisticated. But if we still want our meteoric sword wielding merfolk um, there's going to be at least a couple,
0: right? So there won't be any Valerian steel.
2: No, but they, but no. bronze. You can do really good stuff with bronze. So, like oh. when when you think about like the Iliad or any of the Greek uh, yeah. epics, those are all bronze working cultures. Oh wow! Um, so cool. like that. So, so Achilles was kitted out in bronze armor.
0: Ah, so. Oh, so this makes sense. So basically, the Merfolk could have built the city of Atlantis. Mm. Uh, but they built it yeah. underwater. It wasn't a sunken city. It was it was just started underwater.
1: Well, but, uh, and I would point out, at least as far as city building goes, you don't really need bronze tools to build complex civilizations. Mm. There are mm. plenty, like, mm-hmm. you know, North American and Mesoamerican con- uh, civilizations that didn't mm-hmm. have, like, metallurgy, like, you know, super advanced metallurgy, but uh, still were able to do incredible works through other means, through, you know other types of like, you know, stone based architecture, like you don't need Mm -hmm. metal for every That's right. So
2: that's a super important point is we've been trying to kind of reconstruct Mesopotamian civilization, but surely Mesoamerican is a better model here because the, the Aztecs and the Incas, um, just don't do that. <laughs> they, they never uh, develop mm-hmm. iron tools or weapons. Um,
0: oh, I and I
2: asked uh, a friend of mine about this, uh, a friend of mine who's a, uh, you remember um, Gerardo uh, yes. Aldana, mm-hmm. who was a guest on the show once, um, yeah. who is a, a Mesoamerican archaeologist. And I asked him, I said, why didn't they develop, um, uh, you know, uh, iron tools? And he said, because they didn't need it um, huh. because they had, uh, jade, which is super, we think of as a decorative rock, but is actually super hard. So mm. whatever you would need a hammer for, you can make it out of jade. Um, and then they had tons of obsidian, which is way sharper than um, any metal blade. Oh, so wow. they didn't have any incentive to try and get sharper metal tools right. either. Right. So basically they had everything they needed um for tool-making purposes. Um, yeah, so underwater Aztecs is probably are the way to go here, which right. I should say, wasn't that one of the themes of the latest Black Pan- Panther movie, too? Weren't they?
1: Yes, but they also had metal.
2: Oh, did they? So jerks.
1: Yeah, they, they were kind of <laughs> metallurgy-focused. Yeah, so it wasn't as... But I, I do think that this is a good way to go. Yeah, we no, have. Yeah,
2: totally.
0: That's right. Now the Aztecs did use. They they had a lot of gold, though, right? So they used. Yep, for, that's that's uh-huh. right.
2: So they had gold and silver and copper, um, yeah. which they only used for decorative purposes. I should say. Like I said, they didn't because uh, j- uh, obsidian is actually better than copper for that's all tool making purposes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we and could. You dim- said you. Oh, oh,
1: oh no, I was going to say that mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you find gold, you know, as you know. You can find it relatively pure. So our mm-hmm. mermaids uh, can be kitted out with gold swag. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. Jade and obsidian, you know, tools, hammers, and blades. Yeah. Uh, probably rather than using wood handles, they're using bone. Um, and I think that that about, yeah. And then, you know, mm-hmm. stone is still within the limits of everything. So yeah, they sorry. can be making mm-hmm. whatever structures they need, if they need structures out of stone, Um, or, and I just thought of this as like a little fun one, uh, depending on the biome that they're in, you can kind of encourage coral to grow certain ways. So it's brittle, but I do kind of like the idea of, you know, maybe they're very good at manipulating their environment. Humans have made bridges out of coaching trees to grow certain ways. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. They're really cool. They're living bridges and it takes like generations to build and maintain. Um, but you know humans are very good at manipulating their environment, so I assume the mer people would as well. Yeah, and that you're probably seeing really different types of if they are living in, you know, societies and they are making you know buildings or whatever that you know sharks can't get into or something for some reason. Yes, uh, yeah. they yeah. they will probably be manipulating their environment to suit them best. I assume that you know. Making a house exactly is a little irrelevant since you don't need to keep the rain off of you, but I'm sure they do have to have <laughs> yeah, something. Interesting. But, but keeping they want predators to keep
2: at bay. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. coral's an interesting one because, you know, wood or trees grow on the scale of, of human lifetimes, So it's it's sort of manipulable in that way. Mm. Um, stone does not develop or the generally over the course mm. of, of human lifetime. So you can't do that. But coral's a nice in-between in that it does grow at visible rates so you could manipulate it but it's also really hard um so that would be pretty neat actually i could dig that have humans done that have humans crafted coral we and have so- artificial coral reefs seems like that must count right i mean huh. ours, are, ours are pretty crude Right? we dump like old buses on the bottom of the yeah, ocean and then corals right. the, on the, them the, in fact there are um a whole fleet
0: of old subway cars from new york were um mm-hmm. dumped in the ocean somewhere to create a uh Artificial reef. That's apparently right. And apparently we,
1: yeah. we did figure out how to like fracture coral to make it grow faster oh. to restore oh, reefs. Know that. So okay. I wonder if there, you know, would they, a, a society that's around this so much more, would they have probably had an incentive to develop it? Yeah. Um, and that's actually something I'd, I don't know of. Like there's a lot of really good research about indigenous peoples and the way that they manipulated their environment. In order to essentially have it maximally create food without creating much impact, oh, you'll yeah. okay. see things like salmon mm-hmm. catches in water places where they stripped bark off rather than felling a tree for that. Mm. So I could only imagine that in similar ways, you know, the the people would learn to live with their environment as optimally as possible, especially if you know they don't have the cheat of just making a metal tool for something Mm -hmm. and then chopping down the the kelp forest. That's
2: a really, yeah, we haven't talked about this, but that's a really interesting question of, do do they become agricultural settled (laughs) civilizations (laughs) um, Yeah. or do they, or is food, because the only reason to do that is if food is scarce. So if you've got lots of food by hunting, gathering methods, Mm -hmm. um, no need to settle down Mm -hmm. as it were, right? Maybe they'd never develop agriculture. Yeah.
1: I'm imagining it – It. I don't necessarily think they'd need to develop pure agriculture in the way that we think and the way that they're culturing, you know, sea corn for thousands and thousands of miles. Um, but there, it, there is a lot of agriculture you can do underwater and that I think is less conventional in, like, the just, like, you're putting kelp seed down. I don't think kelp even makes seed. Um, <laughs> that's a very angiosperm thing. Um, but – I think that they could have sort of that blend of they are actively influencing their environment to foster, you know, not just burning, like over foraging through things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, you know, encouraging certain types of, you know, making like, uh, what are they, like oyster reefs? Oh, yeah. That's what I was imagining. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They could
0: harvest. Yeah. Yeah. They could, could create like, um, well, they could do any kind of thing. I could like when I was thinking of crafting the coral reef, you know, they could do things that attract large amounts of fish, and then they could trap the fish and basically create like farm, you know, fish farms mm-hmm. around their pyramids and uh, things like that. Um, and I imagine that, actually to go even further in evolution. I imagine them. This is a very James Cameron esque thing to do, but I can imagine them learning to ride whales and dolphins. <laughs> Right mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. to go faster, domesticating whales and dolphins. Well,
2: yeah, that's right. Or no other creatures, um, sharks.
0: I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I. So one of the things that I was going to joke about is if they have to make expeditions deep underwater, mm-hmm. uh, pressure differentials are a thing. So there, uh, there probably is a limit to where they could go. Yeah, right. But there's no reason why you know we can't have our mer people training squid. Like, really yeah. deep ocean creatures to yeah. go and scavenge things mm-hmm. for them. Um, I, I, you know, if these are anything like normal humans, even though mm-hmm. they're more people, yeah. we we tend to like our little creatures. We do. Um, that's so. right. So,
2: yeah, that's right. So, we, we um, domesticate squid as working creatures, right, for, because they'd be good for, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And then usually, traditionally, our working creatures turn into pets, too. That's, yeah. you know, my, my dog is under my desk. Right
0: well, I was going to say, every one right? of us has a pet in our room right
2: now. <laughs> <laughs> On well, screen, even. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'll yeah. give a little asterisk, a little a little credit to fish. Fish can sometimes recognize, like, people's faces. Like, uh, there's this one, like, right? scuba diver in, like, Japan who's friends with, like, a sheep's head wrasse or something like that. Like, some of the big fish can recognize people. Oh, yeah. And if you've ever been, like, you know, snorkeling in an area where they feed the fish... To kind of entice them to come up, mm, mm. they recognize the boats. They'd be like, "This is the one that feeds me at this time." Yeah. So, yeah, classical like operant conditioning works great. Oh, well, so, yeah, okay. our our mer people are pretty good if they're like on a reef and they're like every Tuesday at three p.m. We feed the barracudas. Yeah. You know, there's going to be something where like the barracudas are just going to show up there and probably not kill the mer people because they know they get fed at three p.m. Right. And then from there, you can maybe I don't know start training, attack barracudas, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, again, another textbook that I have studied, uh, a movie called Avatar, Way of the Water. Um, <laughs> we do see that a boy and a whale or whale-like creature can uh, recognize each other, so to speak. Um, I truly
1: like the, the insinuation that there are whales, meaning mammals still existed and went on land.
0: Yeah, and then,
1: and, then, and then came back. They were yeah. like, this, this is whack. We, we need to yeah. go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. That is possible though, right? That totally, mm-hmm. there's yeah. no, nothing stopping that. So yeah, and then what I was thinking was that in riding the whales might be the first time that the merfolk get to go above the surface of the water. Like that might be like a space program for them or something. You know, it's like the first time mm-hmm. they experience that. Mm-hmm. And it may eventually lead to them being able to leave the water again, but this time stay longer because they can use tools. Where's the whale? Well, important
1: out. asterisk, right?
0: Yeah. We're
1: assuming this entire society that lives exclusively underwater doesn't need to come up for air, so that they're still mammals, but or oh, mammal oh, life. That's right. mm-hmm. But well, this entire time, we haven't been factoring in that if they are actually mammals, they need to come up for air. So. This is sort of the important, I'll, like, do my five-second thing about, you know, lungs versus gills. Yeah. Basically, everything that still breathes air, with the exception of, like, insects, uh, any kind of, like, lung or gill essentially uses water, uses, like, wetness to, as a medium for transferring oxygen. Mm -hmm. Fish just essentially have their lungs directly in the water and directly exchanging uh, gases between... The water and themselves, sort of just directly. Mm. Our lungs are wet, so we sort of inhale air into ourselves and then use our sort of, you know, ambient internal moisture to uh, mediate weird. that gas transfer. We don't do that because outside our environment they dry out, which is why our lungs are internal. So that's an mm, adaptation to the fact that we're up, like on land. Dolphins and whales, because they adapted over millions and millions of years to be land creatures that then went back into the water. Because they, you know, there's probably more food there, they still have the body plan of a thing that needs air, even though they've huh. evolved to not, you know, need it as constantly. Like, we can only hold our breath for three minutes, a whale can hold it for like hours. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I am assuming, really, based on the way that we've been describing these mer people, they probably have gills. They probably don't have our mammalian need for air which means that sure they could ride whales but the instant that whale breaches they're going to have a oh my god can't right 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 that makes sense i guess
0: that's why i was saying it's like a space program in a way that they would realize that we need to there's this totally other environment here that we need we we want to explore but we're going to need some sort of tools uh we're going to need spacesuits or something to uh um survive it um That's fascinating, though, what you were saying about humans having to have the water inside. It's as if we left the water. One thing Ori mentioned was the idea that, well, in the future, uh, these creatures, the merfolk, as we're calling them now, might uh, migrate out of the water and onto land. And he was saying, would they need to bring, would they basically need to exit the water in aquariums or something like that, Mm because they need to stay in water. Um, What you're saying, actually, is we evolved onto land and we just We just kept the water inside in some way rather than having to live inside a uh tank. Really bizarre. Well, in
1: a fun way, technically every part of you is just advanced salt water uh, (laughs) because our cells are just little bags of salty water Wow, that's doing a lot of stuff. So yeah, everything really does come back to the ocean.
0: Amazing. Um, So as as Ori said, jumping way ahead, um, putting the pedal to the metal, um, where, where do we see this going? So we, we, we left off with them being able to ride whales all of a sudden. They can jump up in the air. They have tool use. They have, um, um, once they've discovered the surface of the ocean, they could, dis- well, they have their bones, but they might also discover wood and make spears or other things. Um, eventually, I guess they've gotten to the point where they can explore the beach. Right, if they can go up on a whale, maybe.
2: They can. Yeah, that's right. I mean, presumably, it's going to be the inverse of us, mm. where you know we came to dominate the land and we're slowly exploring the ocean,
0: yeah, um, yeah and yeah, figuring
2: yeah. out how to use it. Um, so, I suspect that they would probably take over as much of the the underwater world as possible um, because that's easy, yeah, uh, and then slowly start exploiting. Um, the dry land. Yeah. And maybe, actually, maybe then once they could do that regularly, then they can smelt metals as much as they want. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh, so uh-huh. maybe they'll have a big uh, uh, explosion of um, technological advancement. Once they can I
0: can imagine that. them yeah. doing that and still mm-hmm. staying in the water. And for instance, mm-hmm. thinking things like, well, we found this thing called land, but travel is so slow on it. So we're never going to use <laughs> this land. They use it to build these factories to make airplanes which basically get them from one place in the ocean to another place in the ocean, you know, without mm-hmm. bothering to live on land.
1: It is interesting thinking about that, though, right? Because because one of the first things I was thinking of was like, okay, we can go into space yeah. because mm-hmm. we can essentially make things that hold our air. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do you hold water, especially hold water at like a gill level, uh, if you mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. smelt glass, you can't mm. smelt metal, what do you make? What do you shape in order to hold water?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's a tricky. But could one, you
0: use it? the flesh of other animals?
1: You could use stomachs. Just to go full I,
0: Aztec. Stomachs, yeah. I guess.
1: <laughs> stomachs. Yeah, bodies are really good for that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You oh, could yeah. old old water skins, they are called skins for a reason. Right. Um, yeah. So we are imagining a little bit of a, a sticky, kind of slightly gruesome, well, we, fishy smelling future. We wear leather and things, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of
2: what? Yeah, sure. I, so maybe a, bio, a bioengineered space program is, the, is what we'll end up with. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. That actually would be very interesting. That could be
2: pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to put a stomach on your
0: face. Everyone loves that. That's why people really complain. <laughs> we have to wear our stomach masks again? Oh my god. This is <laughs> um, so this entire civilization has flourished in the ocean and remains in the ocean by the dominant thing. And the land remains like the oceans are basically what the oceans are for us today. Is this kind of vast semi-explored part of the world, but sort of also not as interesting. It's like, well, it turns out one quarter of this planet has no water on it. And it's it's boring and uninhabitable, mm-hmm. they would say, you "Yeah." Know? That's right. um, but what does, what does the world look like? So let's say, uh, someone visits from another planet, they come and they discover this, uh, this world with these vast, highly technological civilization
2: that lives under the ocean. What do they see? Well, that's a good question. So the, 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 the way we usually think about SETI is detecting radio waves and such. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not obvious to me that they develop radio particularly quickly. Um, Uh There's lots of easy ways to transmit sound long distances underwater. Whale songs. Um, Yeah, Yeah. that's right. So I wonder if things like radio would be delayed a long (laughs) time, because it's not quite obvious why you would need them. Yeah. so they could be a pretty advanced civilization and not be easily detected by aliens. Um, so maybe the aliens come down and start their colony up before they right. realize that the planet is already inhabited. That's right. That's right. They
0: they, they see the land. They see no one on the land. They mm-hmm. say, oh, we'll live here. perfect. Know,
2: he, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly.
0: I love the idea, though, of a global CNN with whales as essentially the anchor. A
1: CNN? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's good. Woo!
0: Thank you. That's our show. I always end on a high point. (laughs) Yeah, we can't beat that. (laughs) That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Ori, thank you for this amazing uh, suggestion. Uh, This is another one. I think we could totally continue another time. It would be fantastic. Um, Our Patreon listeners will get to hear a little bit more of this. We will we will explore this in the after show, and only our Patreon members will get to hear that. So if you want to find out how you can uh, become a Patreon member and get these bonus episodes uh, that we do just for them. Patreon.com slash if. Ori from Bundaberg, Queensland, Australia. Tell us what it's like down there. Tell us if we did you proud. I hope you, we, we pursued your idea as you imagined it, and perhaps even further. And all of you, Ori and, and all of you other listeners, let us know, how would you continue this scenario? What are you imagining? And I'll put out the word again. I've always said, I know there's a lot of creative people out there. And some, nowadays you can use AI to make pictures and things like that. So uh, send us your ideas for concept art, images, imaginary sketches, you, no, no skill needed. Stick figures are fine. <laughs> what, what do you think this world looks like? Let us know. Uh, you can contact us at, on our website, whattheif.com or our Patreon page, patreon.com slash whattheif. You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. Matt, do you have anything you want to plug this week?
2: Um, No, I don't think I'm doing anything interesting for a little while yet. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's positive.
0: Gabby, how about you? We do have your book. uh, uh, Gabby has a book coming out. Let us know again about that, Gabby. Then A link for it is in the show description. And it's coming up very soon, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, on the 25th, um I have a short story in an oh. anthology 4 days from out. now. Yeah, 4 days from now. I'm Woo. very excited. Wow. Um it's from Neon Hemlock Press. The anthology is Luminescent Machinations. Uh I am very very excited for it to finally come out. Uh yeah. it's been a long time coming and just like, you know, delayed by things from the printer. So it's cool like when we finally got to see like the the proof of the book. Uh it looks great. There's illustrations in it as well for every story. Um, so hopefully those of you that do get it, like it
0: right on, yes. right Tell on, you. right on. Um, I, uh, will. I've been doing a number of talks about, uh, artificial intelligence, um, uh, particularly within the arts, the field, in the creative fields. Um, and in particular in that, in, in the world of documentary filmmaking, but it's also, it's applicable to, uh, all kinds of filmmaking, really any, anyone who's interested in finding out how to use AI creatively. And uh, as part of the Doc NYC, uh, Doc NYC, which is the biggest film festival in the world, I believe, takes place in New York City in the fall. But they have something called Doc NYC Pro that's uh, a program of sort of uh, seminars and, and learning opportunities throughout the year. And so um, coming up on Wednesday, the 26th at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern, I'll be doing a um, uh, an AI talk. And so that's available on Zoom, and I will put a link for that in the show notes. Uh, but you can go to look up Doc NYC Pro and find out more about that. Um, Matt, would you help us uh, understand the uh, importance of the closing ceremony now? Uh,
2: well, it is um, when we return to reality. Um, all good rituals have both uh, an entering process and an exit process. Um, And in this case, um, we are the alien colonists who have come down to this uninhabited planet and we decide to have a nice beach day. And we set up our folding chairs only to see an army of blitzed-out meteorite (laughs) sword-wielding merfolk with skin bags of water over their heads traipsing out of the water towards us. And we have no choice but to scream out
0: what Thank you Matt, thank you Gabby, thank you merfolk one and all, thank you Ori uh, and all our listeners and especially all our Patreon listeners thank you all for listening and uh, enjoy your underwater spoils and your magnificent underwater cities and turn on CNN and we'll see you next week